Hi there, local citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from a beautiful day after the torrential rains yesterday in Accra, Ghana. And my guest comes from another life of sunny life that I lived. And I'm really excited to host him. He is a digital media innovator with over 25 years of experience, who has been active in the NFT space since 2017, and is a thought leader in defining hashtag Media3 as the intersection between Web3 and media and entertainment. He is an executive producer of I'm Here Now, a documentary film chronicling over 90 key artists and personalities in the NFT space. While at Sony Pictures Entertainment, he filed three patents related to blockchain and NFT technologies, after which he worked in emerging experiences and product content innovation at Netflix, where his projects included Love, Death and Robots, and Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, as well as the new Netflix games platform initiative, all while maintaining a focus on how to discover and promote franchise IP on the service. So I'm really curious about that. In 2021, he left Netflix to join the Web3 space full-time and is an advisor to multiple Web3 companies, including Doodles, National Lampoon, and NFT42. He created Meatbits DAO and helped to launch a number of successful NFT projects like Savage Droids, Boss Beauties, Super Geisha, and Lobby3. As a generative artist with multiple art drops and collaborations on Art Blocks, his first Art Blocks collection went for auction at Sotheby's. He founded the artist incubator Matter.Art, which helps accelerate careers of artists around the world, showcasing up-and-coming artists from diverse communities, and is host to collaborative, experimental, and generative art collections. Kaigani Turner. Hi. 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 <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> so let's jump right in. Sure. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Sure, sure. So I'm from New York originally. That was a long time ago. So by way of Britain, which I, I lived in for 17 years after where, where we first met at Stanford. Um, and now I'm currently back in back in California, residing in what well, was in L.A. And now I'm in Lake Arrowhead, which is in the mountains outside of L.A. Oh, and, and what is my craft? My, my craft, that's Kind of tricky to put my, I, I guess the intersection of media and technology is the, is the best way to describe it. And if there's a, if there's a craft around, you know, the pursuit of innovation and, and art, uh, that, that's, that's somewhere in there. So, so okay. yeah, I mean, but, but I would say but the majority of my career has been as a, as a designer and as a technologist. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I remember we were both in the school of engineering. Yeah, yeah. So I got my degree in computer science. Was was yes, uh, yes. But didn't, I didn't spend much time programming. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So I'm curious, why the where? So how did you come back to California? And let's even I'm even more curious. How did you end up in the UK? So I was working with a design consultancy called Studio Archetype, which merged with a, a technology 
developer called Sapient, and and you know, Sapient has gone through a few forms and still exists today. But I, I originally just had the opportunity to do a, a project in London for what was going to be a three month project, and I had just I hadn't been out of the U.S. before that, but like the week before this opportunity came along, I I just took a vacation and went to France and just thought. You know, in the same way that going from New York to California was um, a big change in perspectives and, and you know, seeing different things and, and meeting different people and seeing different lifestyles. I, I felt that happened again when I went to Europe and I just, you know, was, was, you know, it always gets you to look at your where you're from, where your hometown is or, or kind of everything you take for granted and the context around you through through a new lens. So, you know, suddenly... It wasn't, you know, in the same way that I was a New Yorker in California, and now I was a, an American in Europe, and and saw things that I took for granted. You know, suddenly you're you're reexamining or you're seeing through through different perspectives. So I really, in terms of personal growth, I like that. As a designer, I felt that when I got to London, I suddenly got an appreciation for design that I didn't really have before. Because prior to uh, when I was making a decision to go to university, I thought about going places like RISD, the design school. But at the time, I, I didn't really have a clear understanding of design versus fine art and illustration. And I felt like in London, it was just such a, uh, you know, design is so much a part of the culture. And there's so many great designers that have come out of out of London and the UK that I'll go to places like the Design Museum. And, and you know, I just there was just an appreciation for uh, a, an aesthetic in design that I, I really gravitated towards and, and felt like that was really enriching and I could talk to all these great designers around me. Um, so that's kind of what, what pulled me in. And then I think generally I thought I was going to move back to New York because I missed a, a kind of big cosmopolitan sort of city and lifestyle. But I found a lot of that in London and I found a lot of, you know, I was getting into Europe a lot. So there was a, just a lot of personal growth in the beginning. And like I said, an appreciation for design and, and culture. And then over time, my, my professional network and my friends and, and uh, that, that kind of took hold. So after I'd been there for a few years, I found that you know, I was finding great opportunities there and there was no, no incentive to move back. But eventually I, I, I settled down, met my, my eventual wife, and we were just, I think what we weren't really looking for in London you know, we were looking to move outside of London, looking for, for kind of better weather. And eventually, the, you know, there's no better weather, we realized, than going back to the States. So I think that's that's what, um, you know, I was surprised because I always thought I would, be, I would miss New York. But it wasn't until I hadn't been back to California in like 12 or, or 13 years. And then I went back for a conference and I was, and I was surprised how much I missed California. And independently, yeah. she had visited L.A. Uh, to visit a friend. And we both realized that we just would prefer living in, in, in LA for the weather and for the also opportunity around media and entertainment. Uh, right, much, of course. much better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, very interesting. So LA was just a nice difference. Now, did this coincide with your leaving Netflix? Uh, no, when I was still in London, I was more fully in the uh, design innovation space. So I was working for a company called Mood that you might know for, they print business cards among other mm -hmm. things. And I, but I was in there, I was heading up their innovation group that was looking at physical, the digital experiences. So we were basically putting, printing chips in 
business cards business. and paper and seeing what we could do with that. So I was coming up with all these ideas around what you could do with tokenized digital experiences, which was kind of primed me to, to pay attention to NFTs when that came along. Um, but I was, but yeah, I was more fully, and prior to that, I was in games and educational games and kids' games. So I kind of moved through a variety of different areas, but I was in, in the, when I was working on children's games, I was working with the BBC and uh, we got the, the global rights to their kids franchises. So they, they have a, a CBBS brand that's mm-hmm. all their kids animation shows. So we got the rights to do games with that. So that, that kind of got me interested in, in, in doing more in media. And I really found that I found that that was the most exciting aspect of, of my work rather than, you know, prior to that, I've been doing a lot of maybe more uh, corporate design work or commercial website design and, and, you know, thinking about consumer, consumer projects and working with big brands. But I found like the media, media really appealed to my creativity at the point that, you know, I was moving at the phase of life I was moving into. So that when I came back to the States, I wanted to go fully into looking at the media side of things. So that's when I, when I came to LA, I worked for Sony initially. Mm. And then after that, I worked for Netflix. Oh, okay. So you've been in the LA entertainment scene for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I moved to LA, that was fully into into yeah. working for the entertainment industry. Okay, interesting. So in terms of design, have you always been an artist? Like, where when did you discover the artist in yourself? Yeah, I've I've always. I mean, I still don't think I hold a, a pen and pencil correctly because I was holding it from <laughs> such a young age that I just kind of developed this way of holding it. So I was I was drawing as soon as I could really pick up a pen and yeah. and and paper. So I was always you know had that aspect. And then I don't know if you remember from Stanford, but I was doing like all, I was doing lots of different posters, and yeah. Uh, so it was always like a side, side thing. But I never. My parents are artists. My parents are in the theater. Um, my mother's a playwright, and my dad's an actor director. Uh, so I kind okay. of, I kind of took a, a orthogonal. You know, I kind of took a beeline away from the arts because of because yeah. of that. I knew just how difficult it is to uh, make a living in the arts. Um, but design was, was eventually, you know, I got my CS degree, I, I realized I didn't want to do any coding, but found a kind of middle ground of sort of user experience, what, what would evolve into user experience design as it built on my technology background, but it was also more creative and, and, you know, thinking about the, the systems design and these sorts of things. So I kind of gravitated back towards my my passion for the arts, my, the visual arts mm-hmm. through design and approaching it through design was a way that I felt like it's, it, you know, that kind of, like I said, before I came to London, I didn't know that I thought if you want to pursue your interest in, in the creative arts, then you have to become an illustrator. And what does that mean? And I didn't want to be an illustrator, but design showed me like a professional path where you can think about business problems Mm-hmm. And you can bring your your creative creativity to it. So design was like a n- nice, happy balance between the two of my interest in technology and innovation and uh, creativity. Okay. So before we get too much into like the the wonderful juicy things you're doing now, I want to ask you about Global Speak because you know talking about London, talking about LA, I we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and how or why you came to value it as local speak. There are, so first of all, I'm trying to pick, pick which, which, which yeah, local, which local. To, to choose from. But I know there, 
I'm trying to think of because I know there are some sort of British language things that had crossed over to the States that I didn't I didn't remember before I went to Britain. I think they were new. They sort of crossed over in the time I was away. And I was surprised to hear people saying them when I got back to the States. And and, oh, and okay. one of those would kind of be maybe well, I'll choose, I'll, I'll say I mean, I'm sure this this existed. But I think this is ridiculous, but but I'll say bespoke bespoke. I'll say okay. is because okay. I think that okay. that that was interesting to me as a term for you know kind of the the craft and you know I, I hadn't heard that term mm. until I went to until I went to Britain and then I think I noticed it more when I came back. So people are probably saying it, but it's one of those things that you know when you travel, you you suddenly. Your, your ears perk up for things that, that maybe would have just washed over you before. So uh, because it was used so much for, for you know, sort of common language in, in Britain, it, it's sort of a, a thing that I really like to, to, to think about and to say just as a way of thinking about something that's made to order and craft, crafted especially for and tailored especially for an individual person. So it's, it's a nice way of looking at art and design, I think. Okay. So speaking locally now back to where you are and and getting into the web3 side of things. So I'm just really curious. Everything that you've been doing is very innovation focused. So really looking at what's next, what's new. I remember watching when Twitter first came out, you were like on Twitter and I can't I still can't with Twitter. I still <laughs> too much. But you've always been kind of at the the front edge of what this is what's going on. So now as you're in this space creating DAOs, you know, how, how did you find yourself in that space and how do you now find yourself in that space? Yeah. So it was something that came out of, uh, you know, it was a progression of what I was looking at in my time at Moo, where I was thinking about, you can take digital experiences and make them tied to something tokenized in, in originally I was thinking in a physical form, like a, a card or a chip. And I was thinking about what does that unlock in the digital space? So when I heard about in 2017, I heard about just a project called CryptoKitties, which was, you know, sounded silly, but it, but it kind of broke through a little bit to mainstream. And I was there really early, sort of looking at that. And I, I kind of got it right away beyond the, the kind of surface, you know, the art of the, you know, cartoon cats. I, I got that this is about digital ownership and that, you know, I better understood the blockchain and I've been following crypto a little bit and understood that this is really transformative in terms of like now everything that we that everything that exists in our digital life can be made more real made more tangible in a virtual sense through this technology so that that's what really piqued my interest and then um from there i still well i, I went pretty heavily you know in, in into that into pursuing that while i was at sony it was it was adjacent to what i was doing you know, for my main job, which was in the, in the video on demand platform. But I kind of pushed a, a few projects there. And then when that market cycle crashed, I just, you know, all the, all the potential sponsors and stakeholders just sort of went cold. So I found that frustrating, but I was like, well, you know, we're not ready yet. And I, in a, on my time horizon, I thought we needed another, uh, I really thought it was going to sort of come back around now ish. I gave it about five years from then, mm. but I was surprised in 2021 when suddenly it, it sort of, you know, had this, I think it was overhyped, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think that, that kind of to its, to its detriment in the, in the long run, but that sort of brought it back around to the point where I was doing generative art and saw an amazing reception for that. 
So that was, that was sort of the first key point. So my first sense of, you know, where, where the public excitement was, was happening was around art blocks and just seeing the reception to that. Originally it was just, you know, me, I mean, out of 2019, I was, you know, a lot of us in the space were just having fun and experimenting. Um, so I was surprised to see just the reception that my generative art on art blocks got. And that was sort of the, the first proof point. And then I, I watched as literally in the span of a month, I was giving a presentation on NFTs at Netflix. And originally I was going to present half of it was just going to be explaining what NFTs are. And over that period of time, I realized that everyone already knows what NFTs are. So it had broken through the mainstream to the point that I didn't have to explain it. I could just jump straight in and talk about the implications of, you know, where I thought it was going. So that, that, that all happened very quickly. And then by the end of 2021, I realized that now was the time or then was the time to jump in fully and really try to do something in the market rather than wait any longer. Uh, it seemed like good timing just to do what I wanted to do with a, with a blockchain lab. And I had a couple of partners that had venture funding uh, invited me to join them. So it just was sort of a now or never kind of situation at the time. Nice. So you mentioned the CryptoKitties. And so I read somewhere that you broke the genome or you broke it. So what does that mean? <laughs> so CryptoKitties were um, or are interesting because they, they basically are bred on the blockchain and they have a, a digital DNA that determines what traits their offspring will have. That had all been because because of the nature of the blockchain. It's like you do all this, all your code is pretty much set up front and and, and doesn't change. So whatever they whatever they had to put into the DNA to use, you know, even through now for it to continue to generate these traits was all all that was already in their code. So people were were trying to figure out, you know, that you could find the DNA and there was sort of this this long number hexadecimal number in, in for representing the DNA. People had sort of found certain things out about them that, that, you know, if you do, this one seems to be related to the types of eyes they have, or this one seems to be related to the, you know, this trait, their, their, their sort of pattern, but no one had really figured it out completely. So it, it started, I was, I actually just had the flu and, uh, and I was just getting obsessed with like, <laughs> How did they? How did they actually do this? So I was curious how they did this, and I think because of my computer science background, it's actually a theme that's yeah. continued on through my my art. Just being obsessed with. I mean, it goes further than my computer science background. It goes back to the fact that that being the the age that that we are, you know, I was I was there in the early days of computing. So it's like I I did things where you had to get down to the bit level, machine language mm -hmm. level programming. So I had a certain perspective that I I was able to look at the just the bits of what was going on in these numbers and and eventually was able to find the pattern and what they were doing that was kind of unconventional that made uh, was kind of throwing some people off and from there it could really just break down the rest of the the code so by publishing the code and, and showing you know what was what that really was embraced by the community because that helped them with their breeding from then on they knew like what they needed to do even though there's some amount of probabilities, they still knew like, if you do this enough, if you if you breed these two cats together enough, you have the odds are you'll get this outcome. So you knew, you at least knew what you needed to do. So it kind of set the blueprint for a lot of people to follow and to really, uh, you know, make, make the most of if they, you know, for the time that people were obsessing about breeding 
different types of cats they they took to <laughs> so is that kind of like an, in the gaming mindset that really kind of helped you to move through that as well and as and were you in the gaming place when that was when that was taking place yeah i mean i was i was interested in how its implications for games i still think gaming is a huge aspect of of the potential for web3 because you see you know whether it's fortnite or any of the other popular games out there a lot of what their the income is the revenue is around the in-game in-game items and and accessories and you know different ways of customizing and and you know whether it's just cosmetic or not all these items are the basis of the game economy so the fact that you can unlock that from the game itself and i mean what people are already doing but they're usually doing in-game or even you know they might be using ebay or something to to like sell their game items even though it's not you know it's sort of like a trust on, on a trust basis you could you could just make that you could make all these in-game items a real thing so i think i kind of saw that i kind of saw you know i thought it was exciting that you know if you think about what crypto kitties was doing with breeding and you know that you could have items that change and and have this sort of internal logic to them and evolve yeah it just seems like a wide open it's still a wide open space for people to figure out what that enables you to do but i think the key thing is like it doesn't it unlocks it from a given platform and 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 what was also exciting about crypto kitties is like the company behind crypto kitties dapper which still exists they could go away and you can still be able to breed cats on you know on the blockchain so it's like that piece of it is as long as the that particular ethereum blockchain exists you can continue to use it in that way so i thought that was also pretty exciting and and you know the fact that you have this this platform that you know is it kind of runs in parallel to the internet and being able to mm. define these digital objects that should should persist to you know mm. as long as people are are around to use them. Okay, okay. So let's talk metaverse a little bit. <laughs> so as you're an entrepreneur now in this space, and in my mind, I'm thinking that the things that you're doing are kind of setting up the stage for metaverse living and metaverse economic activity. So matter. Let's talk first about matter. So especially because of the global aspects of like looking at how you're doing that. So how did matter evolve out of the, the works that are kind of a side by side and out of before it? Yeah, yeah. So matter came out of my, you know, going back to what I was doing with art blocks and trying to blend that with kind of where I saw things going. And and one of the things I found with my own art was that I was most excited by collaborations with other artists is just how that, you know, pushed me to do different things and I got to see their process. So when I was thinking about something to build out of the blockchain lab, as we were trying to really get focused on, you know, what moving into into 2022, like what did we want to sort of build and kind of have products coming out? Matter was blending all those interests together and I wanted to create something for artists where they could do, they could take advantage of the new technology, the new emerging technology, like, Web3 and have a platform for for their art and to explore this this new space together through collabor various collaborative works. So it got started as as you know we were doing NFT drops with collaborative artists and helping them work together. Then moving into that summer, we kind of spun it up fully as a as its own project and business. And I I kind of took the helm of it and I brought on a team that broadened our mission even more and we, we got a better focus on 
what we're doing as, you know, to support the artists. And that summer, because we, we kind of moved away from this idea that we're just going to do NFT drops, we wanted to do artist grants because we also knew the state of the, you know, we were going into the recession and the, and the market downturn. So we, we realized that, you know, a lot of artists had embraced Web3 prior to that, and then we're finding themselves in this down market. So we wanted to give out some grants to see if we could bridge the summer and to highlight, continue to highlight the artists. And that's kind of, to some extent, remained our focus in the short term is to spotlight different artists and to, you know, shine a light on their work. And then we're going to continue to, the, the next phase is to connect artists to their fans and supporters in, in a way to help them promote their, their art and get their, their art known uh, in the world. So it's, it's taking advantage of, you know, what's this current media ecosystem that we live in where everyone's doing Instagrams and TikToks and YouTube shorts and, and helping them really, those, those platforms individually aren't great for necessarily discovering, for, for fans of, of creators to discover their work. It's sort of, you know, if you know someone and you can follow and subscribe right. them, but it's hard for you to sort of have a, you know, if you're specifically interested in finding creators and artists, it's hard to kind of navigate. Yeah. I mean, I've tried myself. I, I want to I wanna follow yeah. lots of folks on, I'm trying to d learn more about TikTok and I'm trying mm -hmm. to follow artists and creators on TikTok. And I just don't, you can sort of follow hashtags, but it's just such a, you know, it's, it's difficult to just find what you're interested in. So we think, right. you know, maybe helping to create a, a, a kind of, channel in a sense of, you know, where, where, you know, it's curated by us. It's sort of our, our lens on the creators that we, that are in our network. We think that'll be beneficial to, you know, the, the collectors and the, the supporters as well as the artists. So are you finding a, a good amount of intersection? I mean, like your NFT was auctioned at Sotheby's. So that's like traditional art spaces versus you know the i guess the web3 so where 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 the world of crypto lives are you finding that people are versed in both enough especially in the art space to kind of understand because when nfts came out i was like oh okay i mean it's speculative right it's like people are just kind of vacuuming up things because they want things as opposed to you know really understanding and under, and connecting with the artist. It's just kind of like what social media is. It's like influencers, that kind of thing. So it sounds like you're trying to kind of peel back that, but the fluff to get into the, the scene that the Pablo Picasso's and the, you know, that kind of nostalgic art scene was about. Yeah, yeah, and that 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 was also kind of the focus of you know I, I felt like everyone in the market was looking at the the artifact was looking at the art as it appeared on you know whatever marketplace, but it was very hard to find any any kind of information about the artists themselves. And I thought about the traditional art world, and and the traditional art world is all about the artists who have built their their narrative, and and you know you, you follow you you learn about the artists probably you know almost before in in tandem with seeing their art, and just seeing you know a painting doesn't necessarily tell you you know you want to know the motivation you want to know their their influences their their you know what what inspired them to make the painting and then that those are just extra layers of context that you know, really bring the painting to life rather than just seeing the painting. I mean, it's sort of like the equivalent of, and, and then, you know, how it, how it's being presented as well. Like, you know, you'll, you'll see, you'll see it in a gallery, you'll see it in, in the showroom, but, or in a museum, but um, the, the way that NFTs are presented, it's like, you know, going to uh, 
you know, seeing it at Walmart or seeing it in like some kind of bargain bin. Um, right. So, so there's that, that issue too. So that's why I thought, you know, you really want to, you really want to, we want to focus on the artists and, and that's where, you know, I think on a long enough timeline, all art is going to have some kind of digital token, tokenized aspect. I mean, you see Damien, Damien Hurst is kind of pushing forward with a lot of experimentation around there. But I think you could imagine, you know, long before this, I was consulting on a project where people wanted to build a web app for high net worth individuals that have collections. And their, their whole thesis was that people have access to the people. People have these collections that are in vaults and, and you know, they might just want to be able to see the, mm -hmm. that on their phone. And basically what they're describing was NFTs. You know, you could mm -hmm. have you could own a Picasso and you could give it to a museum, but you could still have a token that says, yeah, I own this, you know, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need to have it in my house, but I know that I own it. It's like that, that's sort of what NFTs will, will bring. So I think whether it's physical or digital, you know, I think all art will, will be tokenized. So we're at the early, what I, what I found exciting about the web three space is that suddenly we're in a place where, you know, it's thrown, it's broken apart the, the kind of gatekeeping of the traditional art world where you know, if you look just within our, the matter community, like we have a st strong presence, we have a, a number of African artists or, and, and, you know, Nigerian women and, and all, you know, lots of different folks that are, that we were able to highlight, you know, who wouldn't have an on-ramp into, into, you know, a traditional art world of, of you know, if it's Sotheby's or, or, you know, whomever, whomever Christie's you think about. Or, yeah, yeah, Christie's. Or, the galleries yeah, galleries in New York, London. So, so that seems like the opportunity. And I think, but at the same time, it's also the, like, it's a fleeting opportunity. So I, I was also, I'm also very aware that if people don't take advantage of the, the changes and the innovations that will, will just sort of return to the, st the status quo yeah. as before, as the, as the, you know, existing institutions do ramp up on the technology. So, so I see it as a, we're in a weird place of like, we kind of need to stay focused on the next 10 to 15 years. But for an artist, they, they're thinking about, you know, the next month's, you know, mm -hmm. bills and, and these sorts of things. So it's like how to, how to balance these two things and, and get people on board with the change that's coming so that they can really be in position to, to reap the benefits. So, so the grants that you give, are they cash or are they tokens? They're cash in a sense that they are, they're crypto, but they're, um, crypto? Okay. they're, stable coins so they're not they're not okay. speculative crypto okay. Okay. Uh, yeah so they can convert that into yeah they can convert that into cash yeah yeah so it's not it's not gonna yeah it's not gonna be like variable over time um right yeah so yeah. but yeah so we, we those are helpful but i think for, further along it's also like helping raise the profile of artists and yes. you know we're really part of what we did with our grants was to have people do videos we didn't make them public at the time, but we we're, were trying to encourage artists to realize that, you know, you have to find a, a way of publicizing and promoting yourself that you're, yeah. you're comfortable with. And that may, you know, for some people that doesn't necessarily mean putting your face on camera, but, but, you know, it can be, you can have a successful TikTok channel around just showing your, like a time-lapse video of your hand drawing, you know, and, and drawing, yeah. drawing a piece or, or something over the shoulder. So there are lots of different ways to create content, but I think it's in, in today's world, it's super necessary to do that if you're gonna sort of get recognized at all. 
And that's hard for, that's like that's the, hard for artists to do. Yeah. That's the essence of transmitted storytelling. So they can be on many different platforms with many different ways and waves of, of storytelling. So thinking about that business and the ability to have this existence in, in the uh, web, web3, I want to talk a little bit more about DAOs because you said some things about DAOs, you've been involved in creating DAOs. And so when I think about it, I feel like that is, is the big next for sovereignty in emerging economies. But obviously there are challenges, particularly because we don't have an equalized playing field with access to bandwidth, you know, to Wi-Fi, whatever, and just an understanding. So if you could just summarize what a DAO is and then your experience with DAOs and then where you think the future is for emerging economies. Mm-hmm. So DAOs aren't exactly what they, the, the acronym stands for. I mean, it's, it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. And it was set up more as a, it was defined as a almost very technical thing where, where you could encode all of the business logic of an organization into programming and just have it run itself. So you could basically, you know, almost have this, that's the autonomous part. Like you basically have a, an organization that runs itself. That's not really what it's, it's become in terms of how people use it. It's become more of a, a transparent organization that exists across borders. So it's, it's useful in organizing people around an interest. And then because it's on the blockchain and it's related to crypto, they, they can have an internal economy to use. So in, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, it's almost like in its current form, it's almost like student body organizations, but mm-hmm. globally, you know, less people... Mm-hmm sort of organize around something, have a budget, be able to distribute funds and yeah, self, self-organize self across across borders. And I know some people have, have written about things like entire you know, new forms of nation states being being growing <laughs> out of this this kind of environment, which is which is interesting. And whether or not that that happens, well, you know, there's a lot to a lot to do to get there. But I think it's it is interesting in the sense of, you know, that people could organize around their interests and sort of have this way of looking at shared funds to do things with to the, the to the gain of everyone yeah to the gain of mm-hmm. to the gain of the group and to the common interest mm-hmm. of the group so so yeah it's really fascinating from that standpoint i i worked on a few projects most recently with the doodle bank so the doodles as a project is a kind of came out of the nft space they've, they've worked with pharrell they you know are, are acquired an animation company so they're doing a lot of big sort of media activities but they they set aside some of their funding for something that was kind of like a DAO that they called Doodle Bank that was aimed towards the community. And I helped advise them on, you know, how to how to evolve that. Because one one thing that also came out of the original thinking for DAOs is that everyone has an equal share or a sort of weighted share of vote for exactly what what the funding is going to do. So it's kind of and this is this is going back to maybe its technical origins because it's it's like it used to be I've got a coding project or I've got, you know, I want to, I want to add to this open source code project. So why don't you pay me this much? And that, that covers my cost for this much coding. It's very discreet and it's very easy to define, but if you want to do something with an organization that's broader, you know, that has longer term goals and kind of far reaching, and you're talking about things like marketing and you have all these different tracks of work, Dividing it up in, into individual proposals that get funded and voted on isn't really effective. So I sort of advise them to move in the direction of something we had done with, sort of done with, with the DAO that I, I created, 
which was to have a committee, and the committee is actually responsible for the funding, and then people can can. I mean, you're basically recreating government in a sense, but you're you're kind of voting <laughs> voting for this committee. But what I do think uh, again, going back to the strength of DAOs, is that you you kind of maybe it's not that everyone has a say in how the funding is used, but the fact that anyone can that there's a, such a low barrier to entry, whether it's you know you participate in this community and and you can, I think that's really been a strength in that you know it, especially when you look worldwide it's like people may not know how to if you want to say you're you're somewhere and you want to write a film you're you're somewhere in the middle of greece and want to write a film and you're thinking well i have to go to hollywood to do that or i have to you know how am i, I going to make a feature film with a dow it's sort of like you don't have that same barrier you could say well if i'm if i'm really engaged and active in this community maybe i'll learn along the way maybe i can you know, through my engagement, get sort of rise mm. through the ranks. I mean, I can be on the council in a sense and learn from there. So it's like there's a, there's a much lower barrier to entry. Like you don't have a, a geographical barrier to entry, and and mm-hmm. and and often you know with communities, it's driven by your your interest and you're willing to participate right. and to help out. So everything being more transparent, it's 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 harder to again harder to gatekeep because all these things against the 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 the, the culture is such that coming from the blockchain, it's like everything's put out there. You should see exactly where budget is being allocated. You see, should see, you know, even if it's not this idea that decisions are being made in public and being scrutinized in public, you know, there's not something that happens behind closed doors and you have no way of knowing, like, what are they doing back there? Even if you're, you know, you have no way of learning how do, how do you, what happens in the boardroom. The fact that that's all in public makes it much more accessible for people to get, you know, to learn and to grow and to, to develop in an organization. Yeah, I think there's so much. And and speaking of different ways of thinking about organizations, let's talk about mindset. So can you share a mindset hack? This is one that you practice, one that you know of, one that you can imagine. How do you hack your mindset? So something I've done for a very long time, I want to say over 20 years, there's a book on creativity so I've got parent brain now. <laughs> Blanking on it, even though I was just looking at it. I literally have it behind me somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, the the artist's way, which is oh yeah, yes. you know yeah I got yeah. it. Yep. So yep. this is this is I've had a this is not the version I've had for years, but I I I'm also into this thing of like getting sort of heritage versions of books that that are really meaningful to you. Um, yeah, that looks like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so a, a proper tangible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So since reading that, I mean, there are other, there, there, it's actually full of great tips for keeping yourself inspired and, and fresh creatively. But one thing that I've always held on to is the idea of morning pages, you know, and some people will call this journaling and what, what have you, but, but just writing without necessarily a specific purpose in mind, but just like, you know, the, the main point is just like you set aside a time and you write whatever's on your mind and, and just put it down on paper until you've, you've filled the, the pages. And that's been such an important part of my process because I think it, it really unblocks you. I mean, personal and professionally, I think, you, you know, it's great for, for personal insights too. You know, it really helps you break through creative blocks. It helps you sort of organize your, I mean, I find it essential for like how I structure my, my day and my, my thinking about my week and my priorities. So, and, and of course, when you're, you know, thinking about creative ideas, it's a, it's a great way to sort of get them down and, and work through them. So yeah, that's, that's been subscribed to that practice for over 20 years now. 
Nice. I like that. That's a good one. The Artist's Way Morning Pages. Great. So Kai, I know we're running short on time. I want to get you on to your next, but we got to know who you are when you're not an artist, when you're not doing all of this worky building, all of that stuff. I mean, I know artists is kind of not always so serious, but, but I like to ask the question, are you a reader, a watcher, or a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? Oh, that's a hard one because uh, <laughs> sort of, sort of all, all of the above. Um, all of the above. So tell us all of the above. <laughs> but I'll say um, what I'm what I'm watching more than anything. So so who am I when I'm not an artist? I mean, now I'm sort of wholly, you know, the center of, of my thinking is my my daughter. So I'm a father, oh, um, yes. more more you know beyond anything mm-hmm. else, and. And what am I watching? Well, I'm watching I'm watching Babble Bob, which is, <laughs> which is her favorite her favorite thing to watch, which is like a musical thing. But I but I like it because it's like there you know everyone talks about Coco Melon for for kids this age, but Babble Bob we found because it was more you know had a had more of a diverse range of children that they show, yeah. so children from lots of different ethnicities. And the fact that they they motion capture, so it's like singing and dancing, oh, and and the okay. the kids actually look natural instead of yeah. uh, I find them sort of weird, and and you know the animation. Can, <laughs> I find some of the other stuff is a little bit creepy, even the kids like it. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I have like little nieces. I'm like, why are you interested in this? Especially the ones where they watch people like a stop motion toys. So I'm like. Yeah, like I'm like that's Peppa Pig. Like Peppa Pig is a big one where they stop motion with the toys, and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so Babble Bob, you're watching Babble Bob, <laughs> okay? But yeah, beyond that, what am I? What am I? Yeah, so I haven't I haven't had as much time to yeah. to read as I like to. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know if that's as exciting as I'd like it to be, but yeah, that's that's the the reality of. Right. Yeah. For parent listeners, they're going to be happy to, for the tip for Babble Bob. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kai. So this has been wonderful. I'm going to pick your brain a little bit on your, your kids games on another time, because, you know, that's my, my space as well. So before we sign off, uh, do you have any last thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, we we didn't talk about my latest thing, which is AI. Yes, please. If you have time, tell us. Yes, tell us a little bit at least. Oh, I don't. I think the only takeaway is that you know everyone needs to be paying attention to it and you know learning about it in some some form because it's it's trend it's going to transform everything. And I think you know to view that in a positive light, I think there's a lot a lot of positives coming out of it. But the the kind of quick shorthand thing is you know you hear about people currently applying AI to things like programming and they talk about becoming a 10x coder. I think if you want to, if you want to frame it positively, it's like you could be a 10x artist or 10x creative. Like what, what, what do you do if you have a, a team of people that are at your disposal and what does that enable you to do? And that's basically the, the direction we're moving in with AI. Multiply all of your capacities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. I love that. All right, folks. So this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, share, subscribe, give us a review. It helps folks find good content on the internet. Check out the show notes because you'll have a lot of links to Kai's works and the things he's involved with. 
And aside from that, bye for now.